The idea for the show you're about to listen to came when I was sitting outside of a pizza place last summer. It was a Saturday night. Everybody was out. I noticed this couple that's at the corner nearby me. It's a man and a woman. They're in their early 30s. And he's standing on the curb hailing a cab. But he's doing it in this cool guy way. And what I mean by that is he's not making eye contact with the direction traffic is coming from. And then he's got one thumb in his waistband. And his cab arm is like a dying plant. It's not eye-catching. I don't know if he thinks this is effective or if he just wants to look cool. Now I look over at who I assumed was his girlfriend. And I could tell that she was just done with the night. Her arms were crossed. Her feet were tapping. She took his impotent dying plant arm and dragged it down. And she threw her arm up, locked her eyes in the road, and within 15 seconds, a cab came to the curb. It was like a PSA for effective cab gettage. And before they got in the cab, the guy did this head twist thing looking around like, did anybody see that? And I sat there going, I totally did. I spend so much time paying attention to what men do. This is Mark Pagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need Help. For a very, very long time, I've been fascinated with how a man creates a presence, but specifically how a man gets attention from women. While some boys were asking friends about their favorite athletes or trading baseball cards, I was asking girls what heartthrobs they had thumbtacked on their bedroom walls. Even to this day, it's one of my favorite conversation topics. There's too many to name. Earth, Wind & Fire was on my wall. So Ricky Martin was definitely on my wall when he had long hair. I was into WWF so hard. I had posters of wrestlers on my wall. Leonardo DiCaprio, as well as Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, 50 Cent, Brendan Fraser and the Mummy. The three leading men from Independence Day. Speed skater Apollo Anton Ono, and I remember he had his uh, speed suit halfway down, playfully. Is there a part that you're super into? The chest and the arms. Oh, you have to answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the body. You know, the way that they carry themselves. I don't, they were gorgeous to me. Like, they were just so gorgeous. Jeff Goldblum, he had the whole nerdy, sexy thing. Will Smith, the man of action, sexy thing. And Bill Pullman fucking inspired everybody to defeat the aliens. It doesn't get better than that, in my opinion. I just thought women were having more fun than men, especially the women in my family. Every Saturday when I was a kid... Everyone would get together and watch a bunch of VHS tapes in our living room. The movies were always selected by one of my sisters and usually included at least one scene where the male lead would take his shirt off. I was way into this because as long as I was quiet, it was a chance for me to see R-rated movies. But I mainly got a kick out of it because they were having a blast commenting on what men did in these Hollywood blockbusters. I was always the only guy in the room. I know. This one Saturday, I must have been playing outside because I missed the whole viewing, and I walk in on the final scene of this movie with Richard Gere, 
who was at the time a hunk in films like No Mercy, American Gigolo, and today's selection, An Officer and a Gentleman. The living room is filled with about a dozen women watching. Now bear with me as I explain this scene to you. There's a factory where Deborah Winger is working. Richard Gere in full naval uniform struts around the machinery to surprise Deborah Winger. He lightly touches her cheeks and then makes out with her while her co-workers look. Then Richard Gere does this incredible swoop of Deborah Winger's body, bringing her into his arms and then carrying her out of the factory while her co-workers cheer them on. So my living room on that day in the mid-1980s was full of commentary. And of course, I didn't have a recorder back then, but I did play this scene for a group of girlfriends who had never seen it before. And their responses were beat by beat, the same as my family members. They had thoughts on his uniform, The kiss technique. Yeah, but there's no tongue. That's not that's not natural. I need some tongue, man. Even worse when there's too much tongue. And there is a specific vocal range that they hit, which indicates how or whether to swoop a woman off her feet. Oh. (laughs) I couldn't explain it at the time. But the combination of those images and the reactions was intoxicating. So when no one was around, I would sneak into the living room, skip to the end of the movie, and watch Richard Gere pick Deborah Winger up again and again and again. (laughs) Over 30 years later, I've never seen the whole movie. I loved the women in my family, but there weren't enough men around. My dad traveled and worked like crazy, And when he was home, or when male family members came by, the details and their presence were so significant to me. A strong hand on the shoulder when saying hello, the smell of aftershave when my Puerto Rican uncle kissed me on the cheek, the way that my father's cufflinks looked against the wood paneling on the pew at church. This is funny to admit, but I always felt a sensory overload with male affection, but sometimes with them just being around. To me, being a man was exotic because I was into things women were into, and I didn't know whether I could join the masculine club. So I studied, in my own way. Around that time, my sister Lydia collected teen girl magazines, and I asked my grandmother if she could pick me up an extra copy of Tiger Beat and Bop when she went to the grocery store. When my grandmother would bring these magazines home, I'd grab them, go to my room, and intricately cut or rip out posters of these young hunks and then put them on my wall. Alone in my bedroom, I would create a chorus of voices in my head with an ongoing study called Things I Like About Men. Some of these things included the way George Michael wore jeans, mouth snarling, just looking really disaffected, Sean Penn doing 
anything. Men killing it in dance montages. Men who wear loafers with no socks, pressing down on the accelerator. The act of opening a bottle for women, then they run their fingers through their hair because they're so psyched at how cool that was. This idea just built and built in my head. And after all this studying I had done, I couldn't wait to see what kind of stud I would be as an adult. As I talk to you right now, I'm 38 years old in good health. I have supportive friends, a fulfilling creative life. I've never gotten married, but I've had a lot of monogamous relationships with women. I've traveled. I can cook and pronounce empanadas con chorizo. I am told that I'm a great dancer, a good listener, and occasionally I will get someone informing me that her friend thought I was cute. For a single, straight guy, this is pretty good. And I am doing well on this masculine performance. But I'm a little heartbroken about what's behind the curtain. What really concerns me are the ways men try to mask their performance or what happens when they feel threatened or insecure. It's no longer on my wall. I see things in public and I want to shout, give this guy a fucking hug or dude, stop trying so hard. Come on, just say I'm sorry. That's all you need to do. Or the dude from the beginning with the taxi arm. The reason that resonated with me so much is because I knew what was going to happen next. You know, maybe they'll get in the cab and he's going to give her the silent treatment. Or maybe he'll get a text message and he'll over-emote in response to it to make her feel small and have her go, Oh, what's so funny? Who sent you a text? And go, Oh, nothing. I just, uh, just something Tiffany sent me. She's hilarious. Or he'll hold all of this in and think that he's not getting emotionally satisfied in his relationship. And then we'll start flirting with this teacher at a school that he works at because she's safe and she laughs at his jokes. One day she asks, you want to grab a drink after work? And they go out for a drink and gets his emotional needs met. And the woman asks, do you want to do this again? And he'll say, oh uh, yeah, the thing about that is I've got this girlfriend, so if you want to go out as friends, that's cool. Otherwise, I really can't do that. And then this teacher will be humiliated and he'll go home to his girlfriend emotionally satisfied. He won't say anything to his girlfriend ever until maybe the next time she asserts some authority in getting them home after a long day. And then it just blows up. They break up. And then he'll treat his subsequent girlfriend like shit as he pines over the woman that deep down really challenged him. And why do I know this? Because I have done every single one of those things. I am just as guilty as the rest of you. So this season, I'm lifting the curtain and I'm going to be revealing some secrets behind my performance. We'll be looking at the ways men, <clears throat> me, aim to run far away from feeling threatened or emasculated as I search for what I hope to see and be like as a man. Join me for this first season of Other Men Need Help. This episode was produced and edited by me, with production help by Christopher Torres, Tanvir Mansour, Rebecca Hope Seidel, and Anita Flores. Special thanks to Vanessa Valerio, Latoya Johnston, Cheryl Taylor, Gabriel Smith, Bria Chavez, 
Lorena Hrusi, Aaron Barker, and Angel Yao. Please subscribe to us via iTunes, SoundCloud, or however else you find podcasts. And don't forget to add a rating and comment. It helps tremendously. For more information about the show, go to othermenneedhelp.com and you can sign up for our newsletter, which I promise is a really fun newsletter. Okay, that's all I'm going to bug you about for now. Until next time, I'm Mark Pagan, and it's been a pleasure. We'll see you in a few weeks.